Good morning. Welcome to Habits this morning. And thank you, Katie, for that beautiful song. We'll be taking a trip with Barnabas and Saul as they're sent off as the very first missionaries with the gent to the Gentiles. I'm Kathy Gurley, and the last time we were together in November, we saw Saul heading off to Damascus to persecute the followers of the way. Now he's a solid disciple of Jesus, and we'll follow him and Barnabas as they embark on the first missionary journey to Cyprus and several cities in Galatia, north of the Mediterranean Sea. You all received a map along with your handout today. We'll be doing some map work together as we follow Barnabas and Saul on their journey. Before we start, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, even with the cold outside, we just bask in the warmth of your love and how much love you showed to send Jesus your very own son. Father, we just can never thank you enough. We thank you for these faithful, um, these faithful followers of you, Barnabas and Saul, as they endured persecution and they went where you told them to go despite the consequences. We just um, pray that you would help us to be that bold. Father, I pray for the women who are here, and I pray for the women who are perhaps still on their way, that you would bring them here safely. I thank you for them putting aside whatever they may have um, been doing at home to come here and hear your word. I pray that each woman here would be enriched by studying your word and being with other believers to be encouraged. Thank you so much for this time that we have together, and may your Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, we've got a map. So you've all got your maps. And um, on your maps, down in the right-hand corner, you can see, um, just keep it the way it was folded, the way it was given to you. Don't try and unfold it, because <laughs> it was right at the right place. Um, let me get mine. Well, here, Jean, let me use this. Okay, just, just keep it exactly the way that it is like this. And then down here on the bottom right, you'll see like um, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee and, and find Jerusalem there. That's where we're going to start. Okay? Um, okay, here we go. So I've got my laser pointer. I'm going to use it on the left-hand side because we thought that might work better with the light. But here's Jerusalem down here. And um, in last week's lesson, we saw how Barnabas and Saul were sent off from Antioch with a contribution to Jerusalem. And at the end of Acts 12, Luke says, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Got too much stuff here. Okay, so the first segment that you're going to draw on your maps, go down here to Jerusalem, and then if you look up the coast, way up to here, you will see Antioch, right up here. And so that's where you want to draw your line. This is not technically part of the first journey, but I wanted us to get them back to their starting point from where we left them last week. This is Antioch in Syria, and the travelers will go past Damascus as they head back north to Antioch. Now we read in the beginning of Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, 
Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It's from Antioch that the teachers were first sent forth with definite purpose of spreading Christianity and organizing churches. One commentator notes that Jerusalem had hesitated too long to carry out the command of Jesus to take the gospel to the whole world, so that glory will now belong to Antioch. Barnabas is listed first, Saul last. Probably they are listed in either age or spiritual birth order. Yet we will see Saul take on the leadership as the journey progresses. Luke begins the second part of Acts with Antioch rather than Jerusalem as the center of operations, and Saul becomes the central figure instead of Peter. Now this Menaean grew up with Herod, so he had education and rank. This shows that the gospel was reaching those other than just the poor. Jesus, when he ascended on high, gave some as prophets and some as teachers. We see that he has carried out his promise here in the church at Antioch, as there were many men of ability who were teaching and expounding the scriptures. They were already praying and fasting when the Holy Spirit set apart Saul and Barnabas to preach the gospels to Gentiles around Antioch. Remember how the Lord told Ananias back in Damascus to go to Saul? Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, here's Saul's opportunity. Now, the Jews normally fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. This fasting that they were um, undergoing in Antioch may have been a continuation of that practice, but for different ends. This was to be a new venture, full of dangers and hardships, and required intense prayer, humility, and dedication from the sending body. They fasted to free their mind from all impediments so they would not be hindered from hearing from God. Have you ever considered fasting with prayer for a specific spiritual purpose? It's a good time to hear from God, to break down enemy strongholds, and to gain a clearer picture, spiritual picture, of a situation. We see that God the Holy Spirit was the real initiator and empowering authority behind this call at Antioch for the work to which I have called them. And he also was the sending agent. They were also sent forth by their own church body at Antioch by the laying on of hands and with prayer as a commissioning, asking God to go before them, to bring those whom he would choose, to protect them from the enemy, and to bless their labors. I wonder if the Holy Spirit were to call me or to call you and want to set us apart, would I be listening would I be unbusy enough to hear his voice and to know who it was who was speaking to me and what he wanted me to do? Note also in verse 2, they were worshiping the Lord when they heard from the Holy Spirit. Psalm 22 tells us, Yet you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel. I can attest that this is true. The Lord does inhabit the praises of his people. We often see God mightily at work at times of unbounded praise and worship to him. Now this work was a missionary endeavor, a new one, but it was temporary as in the end, at the end of chapter 14, Luke tells us that they fulfilled the work that they had been called to do. 
So they are sent forth primarily by the Holy Spirit and secondly by their church body. Then verse 4 tells us, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. So look at your maps again. See where we have Antioch here. And just look 16 miles to the west, there is the port of Seleucia. So you want to draw that little line, that little leg from Antioch to Seleucia. That's how they were going to go to get on a ship. Verse 4 finishes up by saying, And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached Salamis, so let's look at our map again. Here's Cyprus. This is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. And here's Seleucia. Whoops. Can we click again? Um, and so now they're going to go from Seleucia down here to Salamis, right? There we go. So that's your next little segment to draw on your map from Seleucia to Salamis. Barnabas is from Cyprus. It's, naturally that they, it's natural that they would begin there. It's just a two-day journey from Antioch and has a large Jewish population. The major city there was the large port of Salamis where they landed and began to preach. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John Mark to assist them. You remember John Mark from last week. He's Barnabas's cousin. It was his mother's home where Peter kept knocking on the door back in Jerusalem when the angel released him from prison. Barnabas brings John Mark along. Now, the word synagogues is plural. There were many Jews there, so they had multiple synagogues, possibly also to accommodate the cultural and linguistic differences when they were scattered from Judea after the persecution after the death of Stephen. Saul established the custom of preaching to the Jews first. Certainly he, as a Jew, had an open door there. If he had preached initially to the Gentiles, then the Jews never would have listened to him. Just as Saul had preached first in the synagogue at Damascus, and similar to the pattern of Jesus himself, we see throughout the book of Acts that the word was spoken first to the Jews. Now, verse 6 says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos. So back to your maps again. Can we go back one, please? Okay, thank you. So here's Salamis on the east side, and they went through the whole island to Paphos here on the west side. So there's your next segment for you to draw. Paphos was the center of idol worship on the island. They came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time." Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paphos, okay, Paphos is this 
city right here on the west side of the island was the capital city of Cyprus. It was the seat of the Roman government and the center of Venus worship, lots of immorality. Elemis, the magician, used his knowledge for evil. So of course, he's gonna be diametrically opposed to the truth and light spoken by Barnabas and Saul. This is true for us as well. As long as we discuss, quote, safe subjects with those who do not know Jesus, all will be well. But the minute we begin to discuss Jesus, who he is and what he's done, we can expect opposition. Do I avoid speaking the truth with others in order to elude controversy? So now the proconsul calls for the missionaries. Was he really interested in God, or is he just curious about a new philosophical teaching? Verse 9, this is the first time that Saul comes to the forefront. Up until this time, Barnabas was always listed first. And this is also the first time that he is called Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name, and Paul his Roman name, which would be more appropriate with the Gentiles. From here on, Luke normally calls him Paul. He accuses the magician of making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Paul accuses Elymas of taking what is true and distorting it to what is crooked or false. So he undoes a good thing. Paul also calls him a son of the devil, similar to Jesus' descriptions of the scribes and the Pharisees. These are harsh words. But if someone is going to be lost forever, they need to hear the truth in a strong enough manner to possibly shock them into seeing the error of their ways. Just because we are Christians does not mean we have to always be, quote, nice. Jesus often confronted forcefully with the truth. So Elymas now becomes blind as the hand of the Lord comes upon him. Hebrews tells us it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hand of the living God. But God is also merciful. And as he demonstrates with the magician, as he did with Saul, when he too was struck blind, it's only for a time. Like Saul, Elymas must seek people to lead him by the hand, and similarly, his physical blindness is to highlight his spiritual blindness. The proconsul believed because he was astounded at the teaching of the Lord. Miracles are one thing and they are wonderful, but many people see them and still do not believe. The Holy Spirit is the key. It was the teaching of the Lord that won him over. Never our words or our persuasion, but God's power and the Holy Spirit opening his eyes. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. Now, on your map, up here on the mainland, there's this little skinny place called Pamphylia. It's um, northwest of Cyprus, so you want to draw the next portion of the trip from Paphos, down here on the west side of Cyprus, up to Perga, right there. There you go. Whoops. Back one. Um, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Remember this, as this minor little detail about John Mark will become important later on in the story of Acts. And going on from Perga, now... Going on from Perga, so here we're starting at Perga. We're going up here to Antioch of Pisidia. So there's your next segment. This is directly north of Perga, near the border of Pisidia and Phrygia, in the mountains of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. This journey would have been a rugged one, 
through narrow mountain passes with rivers dashing wildly down narrow ravines. The whole region was infested by robbers. It must have been a perilous journey. Now you can see that in Acts 13, we've come across two different cities, both called Antioch. Usually, it will be clear in the context which one is being referred to. Occasionally, the scripture writers will either say Syrian Antioch, which is where Paul, Barnabas and Saul began their journey, or Pisidian Antioch, which is where we are now with them. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Now every Jew would normally go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. They had to have 10 men in order to have a synagogue so the Pisidian Antioch congregation certainly had ample size. The rulers of the synagogue would be the administrators, men who kept order and decorum. They directed the public worship, chose who was to speak, and had power to punish and to excommunicate. As visiting Jews, Paul and Barnabas were given the opportunity of exhorting their fellow Jews during the Sabbath services. He and Barnabas waited patiently until they were given the opportunity to speak. In Acts 15, Jesus' brother James tells the believers in Jerusalem, from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read in every Sabbath in the synagogues. By Moses, James is referring to the books of the law, which Moses wrote. The Jews distinguished among these three sections, the law, the prophets, and the writings. So those are all listed for you in your handout. Since these were the dispersion Jews, not all of them would know Hebrew, so often the readings would be followed by interpretations into Aramaic or into Greek. After prayers came the teaching, which Paul is undoubtedly eager to give. He addresses the men as brothers, a very affectionate term recognizing the heritage that they share as Jews. Now, here is a typical synagogue. There we go. Okay, um, this one is much later than Paul and Barnabas' time, so it has a um, mosaic tile floor and a little more, more elaborate than a first century synagogue, but the layout was always the same. So back here in the far back, that would be the area where the Torah would be read, they would have their readings, and this is the area where um, Paul would have preached from uh, up in the front. These um, stumps kind of that are left are the remains of the supports that went up to the roof. And then the way that it was set up, all around the edges here, this is in the process of being reconstructed, these would all be benches where all the people would have sat. So that just helps you to imagine what it might have been like. Um, Paul addresses them as men of Israel and you who fear God. God-fearers were men who were devoted to God, his word, and his law. They prayed and served the Lord, but they had not taken that final step of circumcision in order to fully become a Jew. The circumcision step was a difficult hurdle for many to overcome, so they were labeled God-fearers. When Paul and Barnabas share the message of Jesus' death and resurrection and forgiveness of sins for all, 
This is huge for the God-fearers. They can then become members of the family of God without the law requirement of circumcision. Sir Cornelius, whom we met with Peter in chapter 10, was a God-fearer. Now, Paul recognized that the simple expounding of the scriptures was not sufficient, but that they must be expounded upon to the people in order to understand the place of Jesus in relation to the scriptures that they had heard read for years. In his sermon, Paul carefully exposits Israel as God's chosen nation, and he recounts their history. He demonstrates that, first of all, he's not only well acquainted with the story of the Jews, but he's one of them and a true believer in the scriptures. He acknowledges their favor before God and is careful to show that he would never dispute the teachings of their fathers. Particularly, he discusses King David, a man after God's heart, and God's promise to bring a savior from David's lineage. He introduces Jesus as the fulfillment of all these promises of God to his people. Even though their beloved King David had died, God has now brought Jesus, who fulfilled all the scriptures, was resurrected in power as the promise and is the promised Savior. He carefully shows them how impossible it was for a sinner to be freed from guilt under the law of Moses. But what the law could not do, Jesus has done. And he tells them, to the delight of all the Gentiles, this is not only for God's chosen people, the Jews, but for everyone who will believe. So now, here's the confrontation. The Jews believed that salvation was only for the Jews. They had forgotten God's covenant with Abraham that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was spoken to Abraham long before there even was a nation of Israel. Ultimately, it was God's purpose to bless all nations through his chosen people. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles rejoice, and many Jews followed Paul and Barnabas asking to hear more. Several commentators say that the words for the next Sabbath could mean something like between the Sabbath, perhaps other working days during the week, or maybe even Monday and Thursday, the fasting days, when Jews often met in the synagogue to hear the law read. At any rate, there are many who are anxious to hear additional truths, and there are others who are infuriated that the Gentiles, who were in darkness in their eyes, were made equal with the people of God. They are incensed that the doctrines of their privileged position should be open for anyone to share. Their rabbis, of course, never had this type of a response when they preached. Paul and Barnabas now deemed the unresponsive Antioch Jews as unworthy of the gospel and vowed to turn to the Gentiles as, both had, been, has been, as had been both prophesied and commanded of them. There were no doubt several churches planted in this area as these new converts went out to share the good news. History shows us that there was continually a church in Antioch of Pisidia, for sure up through the 8th century. By the end of chapter 13, we read that the Jews instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. So, here's where they were in Antioch, and here's Iconium down here. So there's the next leg of your journey to draw.
Shaking the dust off their feet was a token of cursing among the Jews. They took off their sandal and symbolically shook the dust from the shoe. When Jesus sent the disciples out to surrounding towns to tell people about the kingdom of God, if anyone would not listen to them or receive their words, he told them to shake the dust off their feet as a testimony against them. The Jews of Antioch drove them out. Apparently, it was easier to expel them from Antioch than to try to refute them. And we read how the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, at Iconium, they entered into the, together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled. Now Paul's plan was to reach cities of influence, so he and Barnabas followed the new imperial Roman road which connected these cities of the Galatian province. They were undaunted by the persecution which had chased them from Antioch. In fact, as soon as they enter Iconium, the first thing they do is go straight into the synagogue to preach, where a great multitude believed. So the unbelieving Jews poisoned the Gentiles' minds. So Paul and Barnabas go home, go into hiding, no. So Paul and Barnabas remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Unlike Antioch, there were no public demonstrations to expel them from the city. So of course, they stayed on to preach the gospel with great success and God confirming his word by signs and wonders. Far from being stifled by the persecution, they see God's power increase to bring a multitude to himself. They bore witness to the word of his grace. Despite the fact of the maltreatment at the hands of the Jews in Antioch, the apostles were not fearful of preaching to another set of Jews. Their success was not due to their style of preaching, but to the Spirit of God, always the one who draws souls to himself. The signs and wonders are done in connection with God's word. They're never the sole means of conversion, as we saw with the proconsul in Paphos, but they do validate that the message preached is from God. Miracles will never turn a stubborn heart. Bar-Jesus in Cyprus did not become a Christian. The Jews turned the minds of the people against both Paul and Barnabas and the new converts. Yet the more agitation, the more boldly they spoke. When I'm opposed, when I speak of Jesus, do I back off fearful of offending, thinking that I'm doing worse by pushing ahead? Or do I speak even more boldly, growing stronger, because of the power of the Holy Spirit and not myself. How about you? Now the city becomes divided, a schism, an assault, a tumultuous excitement to put them to death by stoning, the typical Jewish penalty for blasphemy. This is not shameful for Paul and Barnabas, rather to their praise, as many were brought to the Lord. Jesus had told his followers that he came not to bring peace, but to divide. Just as Herod and Pilate, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, all came together against Jesus, so now these enemies, Jews and Gentiles, become united against the new followers of Christ. So Paul and Barnabas recognized the time to flee. 
not due to fear or to cowardice, but to keep their lives so that they can preach the gospel again. Jesus had told them that when they were persecuted in one city, they should flee to another. The persecutions drove the preachers of the gospel into new cities where multitudes heard the gospel and believed. Unless there had been that persecution, they might have remained peacefully in one place. It's likely that many conversions in these cities were the foundations of multiple new churches, which remained for centuries. So, in Iconium, when an attempt was made to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lycaonia, Lystra, and Derbe. So, here we are in Iconium, and here is Lystra, where we're going to head next. So, it's a tiny little line on your map. In Lystra, they continued to preach the gospel. They may have had the assistance of some of the new converts from Antioch and Iconium, since Paul and Barnabas could not speak Lycaonian. There's no mention of a synagogue, so we must assume that there were not the requisite ten men required to form one. Paul and Barnabas must have maybe been preaching outside to the crowds. Here, now, we have an episode similar to that with Peter and John in the third chapter of Acts, where a lame man is healed. This man was lame since birth. He leaps up and walks immediately. Obviously nothing that these mere men could have accomplished under their own power. Paul and Barnabas are mistaken for gods rather than thrown in jail like Peter and John were. Even though Paul has just been speaking the gospel and this man had been listening about Jesus, the crowds disregard everything that Paul has just told them about Christ and revert back to their pluralistic religion naming them Zeus and Hermes. They had no conception of the one God who had made all things. At first, Paul and Barnabas did not comprehend what was occurring as they didn't speak the language. Once they realized that preparations were being made to make sacrifices to them, then they were horrified. They tore their garments and proclaimed, but we're simply men. Now, in the city of Lystra, rain was very scarce, So the fact that Paul preaches that God was the sender of the rain was exceedingly important to emphasize the goodness of this God who was so foreign to them. He could have easily withdrawn those blessings of rain and fruitful seasons, but they were an evidence of his goodness to man, his common grace. The men of Lystra said, the gods are coming down to us. They did not realize they actually spoke the truth. God had come down from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. This statement is actually true only in Jesus. And now we have an amazing episode. Luke the physician tells us, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, He rose and entered the city, and the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. Now these persons came from Pisidian Antioch and from Iconium. Remember how the people threw down their cloaks and shouted Hosanna to Jesus on Palm Sunday, yet were crying crucify just days later? This episode with Paul and Barnabas shows the fickleness of humanity, the fleeting instability of popularity. 
Fortunately for Paul, his happiness and fulfillment was found in Jesus and not in the whims of men. Not only was he stoned, but dragged through the city in a humiliating fashion to leave his mangled body there to rot. Luke assures us he was supposed dead, but he never states that he actually died. God protected him and delivered him in an amazing way. Now, when the disciples gathered around him, we can assume they were probably praying, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. So, here we were in Lystra, so you want to draw your last leg of the journey from Lystra over here to Derby. And then you'll want to get your other color of pencil for the return trip. How could it be that Paul entered the very same city of Lystra where he had just been stoned? Maybe he only went just to see the new Christians. Still, it is remarkable that he's even able to walk, much less take a journey of several days. It's obviously by the healing hand of God. One important person may have been there through all this trauma, a young man named Timothy. He was from Lystra, and later he often travels with Paul. In one of his letters to Timothy, Paul notes that Timothy knew the afflictions that Paul had endured at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. So, in Derby, they preached the gospel and made many disciples. There's no mention of persecution, nor of Jews in a synagogue. It appears to be a time of blessing and spiritual fruit without conflict. What a wonderful time when God gives us derby days without opposition or dispute. Now we head back, mainly retracing much of our trip. They are in Derby, and after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So let's go backwards now from Derby. So you can see this green arc. This is the return trip. So from Derby to Lystra. Then you want to draw your line from Lystra, draw a little arc from Lystra back to Iconium. And then another one from Iconium back to Antioch of Pisidia. They have been persecuted, reviled, expelled, and Paul was stoned. Why would they want to go return to those cities when they could have gone back to Syria and Antioch by another route, perhaps even through Paul's home city of Tarsus? Now let's look at the map for a minute. Go back up here to Derby, where they ended. Now look over here to the southeast. There's Tarsus. That's Paul's hometown. And back around here, had they gone inland, there's Antioch where they started back in Syria. So you see, they could have taken a journey that way and avoided going back all those places where they got persecuted and stoned and so on. So why? These new believers had come out of polytheistic environments, many from non-Jewish families and very misguided worldviews. They needed to be strengthened in the Lord and encouraged to persevere through stiff opposition. Paul and Barnabas want to establish the new foundling churches, appoint elders, pray for the converts, and bless them in the Lord. So they were willing to face additional dangers for the sake of the gospel and the new believers. Oh, that we would be so resolved for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. They end their circuit of cities in a similar way that they left their home church, with fasting and prayer. 
they appoint elders in each city, committing them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now Luke tells us they passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga. So we know from that that they left Antioch of Pisidia and came back down here to Perga, where they had first entered the mainland. So draw that return leg. And now they must sail home. So they went down to Adaliah. Now look closely, because this is, these two are very close. Here's Perga, and right down here, just a few miles away, is Adaliah, which is a seaport. So they probably went there to find a ship so they could get back. Then finally we read, and from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. So your very last leg on the way home from Adaliah across the Mediterranean Sea back home to Antioch in Syria. They returned with success in a spiritual sense. They had accomplished the work they'd been sent out to do. They were able to give all the glory to God for his great work on this journey. He had brought in the Gentiles to his kingdom and set up churches in the name of Jesus. Such joy and satisfaction to know that they had fulfilled God's purposes for their trip. They returned with success in a spiritual sense. Now, how about us? If we think of perhaps our atheistic neighbor or our unbelieving um, relative that we have or just our friends and coworkers who don't know Jesus, without Jesus, they have that crooked path that Paul accused our Jesus of having. And yet, we want to see them get on the straight path of the Lord. None of us are probably going to be called to go and preach to multitudes and see multitudes converted. But we have an opportunity one-on-one -on -one with people every single day. And so, it doesn't have to be a whole big thing of, oh my goodness, how can they come to know Jesus? But maybe we can take one zig out of that zigzag crooked path that they have and just give them a little bit of information about Jesus that they can think about and come eventually, as their path gets straightened out, that they will come to know Jesus. Our holy, holy, holy God is sovereign. He's the one who appoints people to eternal life. So that takes the pressure off of us. We're free to simply share about Jesus, his work in our lives, we don't need to feel burdened that we have to get people saved by our own words, logic, reason, or works. It's all of the Holy Spirit so that God may receive the glory. And just as Katie said this morning, that is freedom indeed. Hallelujah. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. I pray for each lady here that you will encourage her in her group, that you will give the leaders wisdom as they lead, and that your Holy Spirit will just be our teacher throughout the rest of this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible love for us. Amen.